Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and it's a great honor that we can come together corporately in public, uh, no uh, fear of reprisal or fear of, of danger. Lord, we thank you that we can come. We can worship side by side, shoulder to shoulder. Lord, we pray that as we gather under your word this morning that you would glorify yourself. We pray that that we would have hearts that are receptive. We pray, Lord God, that you would be truly, Holy Spirit, at work in our midst. Lord, we pray that we would not be people with hearts of stone, but we would be softened to you. We pray that you would soften us. Your word is strong and powerful. May it be be that to us this morning. We pray even over this time as we read John chapter 17 that you would be at work even even now. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. This is John chapter 17. We're going to read from verse 1 through verse 23. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his, up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, to whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you had given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father, to keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not know, I do not ask that they, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And uh, for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask that these, for these only, but also for those who will believe in me, uh, their word, that they may all be one, just as Father, 
just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfect, perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to use your imaginations this morning. I want us to, uh, as it were, uh, pretend we're going back in time before uh, the telegraph, before the telephone, before uh, jet travel, before microphones, (laughs) blocking my view here, before uh, the internet, uh, before texting and email and and Skype and FaceTime and all these uh, ways that we communicate today in this shrinking world. Uh, go back in time to the time where uh, we would write a letter. Remember that? <laughs> Writing a letter. And then that letter in ancient times would be given to someone who would walk or ride a donkey or a camel or get in a boat and would travel uh, with that letter to the recipients. Uh, And I want you to imagine that you are writing what may be your last communication with people that you love very much. You're writing this letter, you got the the paper, the the, the pen or the quill, you're you're writing it, and this is, you're perhaps near the end of life, and this may be the last time you communicate with these people that you love very much. What do you say? What do you put in that letter? Now, if they're not believers, we would put the gospel in that letter, right? We would put the hope of Jesus uh, in that letter, right? Are you awake? Would you do that? I hope we would do do that, right? But let's assume they're believers that we're writing to. You're writing to believers, you're near perhaps the end of life. And, and what do you say? What do you put in that letter? Perhaps, uh, perhaps you want, to, want them to experience one beautiful time in, uh, in God's creation in some special place. Perhaps it's Yosemite Valley after a, a massive winter snowpack. Remember what that was like? Dozens and dozens of feet of snow. The springtime has come. The snow is melting. And these waterfalls are just cascading with power and beauty and majesty that points to God. Maybe you would say in your letter, I hope you get to see that in the springtime. Maybe that's what would go in there. But maybe not. Maybe what would go in your letter would be uh, the joy of, of Christian marriage. And a desire that they would experience this. My wife and I often, before the eyes close at night, will be talking and, and rejoicing 
over the grace of God and the providence of God and how he has brought us together, one of the great joys in my life has been uh, my marriage. And so maybe you would write about, about that. Maybe not, though. Uh, maybe you would write about, uh, to these people that you love very much who are believers, maybe you would write about that experience. They haven't experienced it yet, the joy of having their first child. Some of us, uh, words, don't, uh, words are not sufficient, are they, for the, the mother, for the father holding uh, that baby uh, just after they're born. Things change a little when they're teenagers, our, uh, our thoughts about them. Uh, but, uh, but maybe that's what you would write about. I hope you get to experience that. Or maybe it would be uh, experiencing holding your first grandchild. What would go uh, in your letter? Well, I'm not sure what would be in my letter. I'm not sure what would be uh, in your letter. But we know what is in the Apostle Paul's letter. In our passage today, which is just one sentence in the Greek New Testament, it's a paragraph for us, but just one sentence, he indicates that he may never see the Philippians again is the implication here. And he's, and he's writing this, this one lengthy sentence from this place where I, I may never see you again. And so I've got one thing here to, to say to you. He's writing this to the Philippians whom he loves very much. Listen to how he describes them near the end of the letter in chapter 4. In the King James Version, it, he's, Paul writes, My brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown." Listen again how he describes this church. He doesn't really describe another church quite this way. These brothers and sisters in Christ whom he loves. My brethren, dearly beloved and longed for. My joy and crown. This is how he describes them. And we're going to see what he says in this sentence. This one thing that I want to communicate to you in light of the fact that I may not see you face to face again. We're going to look at that. In his word. Now let's pray together before we get into this, this passage. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for its clarity. We thank you for its relevance to us. I ask that the Holy Spirit would be at work now, that we would not be just doing some religious exercise or checking off the box that we went to church or making it through the sermon, we pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work and that the Word of God would be living and active. And this one thing that Paul is concerned about in this particular passage, Lord, we pray that it would penetrate us and it would change us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Philippians chapter 1 is where we are. If you would turn in your, uh, turn in your iPads or your phones or your Bible, if you have one, uh, Philippians chapter 1. Um, my son, you know, I'm just reminding my sons to get their Bibles, and I've got my Bible, Dad. It's it's in my it's in my phone. We're living in a in a new day in a new era. Did you ever think your kids would would say, "I've got my Bible right 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 here in my in my phone"? I'm kind of getting off. You tracking with me though today? Okay. So Philippians one and verse twenty seven. Let me read this first sentence. Uh, first sentence beginning in Philippians one twenty seven. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy 
of the gospel of Christ. So Paul begins, let's pause here right at the beginning. He begins with these, these couple words the NIV has, whatever happens. And what the NIV translators are doing here is they're linking this passage to what is in the verses just prior. And if you weren't here last week, last week was this famous passage, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we know from history, of course, that Paul is near the end of his life here. He's in prison in Rome. He has gone through these three tumultuous and crazy missionary journeys. And he has just been reflecting on how much more life he's going to have, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And, and so the, the NIV translates this, this one word, uh, monos, as whatever happens. They're trying to bring the sense out of this passage here with this translation. But most of your translations, they have here the word only, only. Translating that word monos where we get our English prefix mono, like a monopod. A monopod's a device not with three legs that holds a camera, but holds one. And so there's something a little bit missing here in this, in this free translation of the NIV, whatever happens. A better way to, to paraphrase or translate it would be uh, just this one thing. Whatever happens, whether I'm going to see you again or not, whatever happens, just this one thing. And then we get this one thing in this sentence. What Paul writes, the answer to the question that I proposed just moments ago, what would you put in your letter? Here's what Paul says. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Here's his one thing. He's not talking about Yosemite. He's not talking about your first baby. He's not talking about marriage. He says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. Worthy of the gospel of Christ. Look at the next phrase there. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence. There's, there's the phrase of, of he's not sure whether he's going to see them again. He, he, he's going to hear about them. He doesn't think he's at the very end of his life. He's going to hear responses about what's going on in Philippi. But I may never see you again. And so the one thing that he's, that he's after is that they have a heart and a lifestyle worthy of the gospel. This is a big thing. This is a big categorical thing. So we've got to ask the question, what does this look like? What does it look like to have a heart and a lifestyle that is worthy of the gospel? Or to put the question another way, what does gospel living look like? What does it look like? And in this long sentence that our translators have rightly put into several sentences, in our English versions, we get the rest of the story. So let's look at the first thing. What does gospel living look like? Let's uh, continue on here in verse 27. Uh, So he says, Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for for the faith of the gospel. Let me read that one more time. So he's reflecting on whether I'm going to see them or not. I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. Spirit here, not referring to the Holy Spirit, but referring to the spirit of man. Unity of thought and action in Christ. I want to hear that you are going to be standing firm, that you're going to be like-minded in one spirit, contending, working, uh, 
working hard, uh, this, this is an athletic metaphor, this, this verb contending, as one man, as one psuche, as one soul for the faith of the gospel. So now he's given us a picture. What does this look like, this conduct worthy of the gospel? It looks like unity that is based on the gospel. Unity that is based on the gospel. This is what he puts in his letter. I may never see you again. I love these Philippians. You can make the argument he has more affection and tenderness for them than any other group of Christians that he writes to in the New Testament. And this is the first thing he says in this one sentence where he's thinking about whether I'm going to see you again, that there would be unity based on the gospel. It's probably not what comes to our mind. It's not what comes to my mind. If I was put in that scenario, I asked you at the beginning, what would you write? This may be the end. He's asking for unity based on the gospel. This isn't just some Pauline idiosyncrasy. This isn't just some strange thing. This is at the very heart of God, this unity in the gospel. That's why I had Brian read from John 17, Jesus' intimate prayer to his Father, not the prayer that we are to be praying and modeling after. We call that the Lord's Prayer. But here, Jesus' intimate prayer to the Father before he goes to the cross, my prayer is not for them alone, not for the disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So we see this theme of unity. What does gospel living include? It includes unity uh, based on the gospel. So I've already put that up there, didn't I? Uh, What does gospel living include? It includes unity based on the gospel. So what do we do? And I'm going to share now a little bit of what I've seen in the church over the years. What do we do when it comes to unity? Instead of unifying around the gospel, we tend to unify around lesser things in the church. And probably if you've been around the church more than a year or so, things are coming to your mind now. We tend to unify around things lesser than the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us the gospel is of first importance. This is what we're to be unified around, according to Philippians 1, around the gospel. We're also to be unified around the Trinitarian unity between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So our unity is to be based on the triune Godhead and around the gospel. But what do we unify around? So I've got a long list here. And so point one is probably going to be longer than point two and three here. Um, sermon won't be as long, and I probably won't go through this whole list. What do we unify around? Uh, One of the things I've seen us unify around are Bible translations. We kind of come up with these things that 
you've got to jump through certain hoops to be, to be part of us, to be unified. You better have this particular translation. Years ago, it was the King James. Maybe it was the NASB. Maybe it was the ESV more recently. You better have this translation of the Bible. I mean, just think about how silly this is. I mean, to God. I mean, the Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek. Can you imagine us like, like, like unifying around some French or Spanish translation of the Bible? Like, this translation is so cool. I mean, it, it's fine to love your translation, but this isn't what we unify around. And even worse than unifying around a Bible translation would be unifying against a Bible translation. Have you heard this? You spot somebody with that liberal translation. Oh, my gosh. Uh, we, we unify around lesser things. How about the method of formal education for our children? So, I've heard all three of these things. We'll start, well, I should start over on the right, right? Okay, I'll start over here on the right. So, on the right, we have, uh, you must homeschool. You must homeschool. You must disciple your children by educating them in the home. And this is what we're going to unify around. This is who we're going to be. So if you come to our church and you don't do this, well, we're kind of, yeah, you know, we love you. And we're going to be praying that you will come and join us and be unified around homeschooling your children. No. Parents don't know how to educate their kids. They're not trained. We need professional Christian teachers to do that. Pastor, we need to have a Christian school. We need to educate from a Christ-centered perspective. And we need to take control of education. And we unify around this. I've heard this too. No. We are to be uh, in the world but not of the world. Our kids should be in public schools taking the gospel there and being light. We shouldn't have these fortresses and, 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 and pull ourselves out. We need to take the light of the gospel to the world. All three of these things can be beautiful, right? But they're terrible if that's what we're unifying the church around. The church is to be unified around the gospel. And around Trinity, our God, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. This is Jesus' prayer before he goes to the cross. But we want to unify around Bible translations or hating a particular translation or a particular type of schooling. I've got a long list. How about eschatology? Our view of the end times. We want to unify around whether... The uh, rapture happens, I'll start at the left here, at the beginning of the tribulation, whether the rapture happens at the middle of the tribulation, or whether the rapture happens at the end of the tribulation. Now, I, we need to be good stewards of God's Word. We need to study Revelation. We need to study Daniel. I'm not saying these things are not important. What I'm saying is these are not the things that the Bible says that we are to be unified around. We are to be unified around the gospel. 
and around our God. And we are going to have some disagreement about the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel and how things play out at the end. One of the the joys, talking about a lot of negative things about the church here, but one of the joys about the church is I've seen unity, particularly in conferences that I've I've gone to. I remember, um, saw this picture sneak up here earlier. I saw uh, one of the first conferences I went to was when I was in college. And these two guys, Chuck Swindoll and R.C. Sproul, uh, both spoke there. When it comes to eschatology, these two guys are, are far, far apart. But when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to who is God, they were together. And so we've had, in, in recent decades, this, this movement of being together for the gospel in the church. And, and all I can say is that that's exactly what, what Paul, that's what the Bible calls us to. That's what Paul, in, in this one-sentence shot at this is what I'm hoping I'm going to hear about you Philippians this is what he wants unity around the gospel unity around God not around lesser things I could go on and on and some of you may be feeling a little bit of pushback in your hearts a little bit of criticism here those of you for whom doctrine is really important and Paul and the Bible draws lines and he draws big thick dark lines But look at where he draws the lines. Galatians 1. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. We don't see the Bible condemning us for how we choose to educate our children or which Bible translation we use. We see condemnation for those who depart from the gospel. We don't take our guns out to shoot at Christians who have disagreements with us on lesser things. Our guns are reserved for this kind of deviation. Deviation from the gospel. 1 Timothy 4, 6. Watch your life and doctrine closely. I want to emphasize and highlight that word, your. Watch your life and doctrine closely. But we often read it as, watch your neighbor's life and doctrine closely. Watch that person who's just come into your church with Eugene Peterson's The Message Bible. Watch his doctrine and life closely. Christ Jesus died for sinners and he rose again. And it's, and it's not just that truth, but it's, it's the contours, the themes of forgiveness, of resurrection, of hope, uh, of suffering that is redemptive and brings glory to God. All of these themes that are related to the gospel, these are the things that we're to unify around instead of playing gotcha. As Christians, we're good at playing gotcha. Now, Pastor Adam and I, it's interesting. You've got two pastors that the Lord has used in, in training other pastors. I'm gonna, I may start crying up here, but you know, one of the great sadnesses is I train other pastors from our district and around, our, around Northern California is our pastors in our churches 
seem to have more more enthusiasm about playing gotcha than they do in unifying around the gospel. By gotcha, I mean reading blogs and stuff about how so-and-so on this lesser issue is so off base. And let's just assume that so-and-so, pastor so-and-so who has this national recognition is off base in his eschatology or in his view of the Lord's Supper. Let's just assume he is. Do we want to spend our time reading blogs about him and talking about him and playing gotcha and, and pointing out their, pointing out their, I, I, hope, I hope this isn't going on in your hearts, but I see it. That's why I'm talking about it. I probably shouldn't be, t- this, isn't in the, this isn't in my uh, notes here, but it's on my heart. I, I hope this isn't where we are, that we get excited about pointing out how people are off base on lesser things. Unity in the gospel. Okay, first, first point was a lengthy one. Second two will be a little bit uh, shorter. Let's, let's move back to, um, to the text here, verse 28. Philippians 1 and verse 28. Um, so he's describing, uh, he's just described unity, standing firm. He's unfolding what it means to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Here's the second thing I see in in verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved, and that by God. So in the context of Philippi, there are these unbelievers who are opposing the Philippians. Unbelievers who are powerful, who oppose them. So what Paul is given this pen and paper Your last letter, what are you going to express? Unity. And the second thing is that you'll have a fearlessness about you even though these powerful unbelievers are opposing you. Even though these powerful unbelievers are opposing you. Fearlessness based on the gospel. Not a fearlessness based on my self-esteem. Not a fearlessness based on my money that I have. Not a fearlessness based on my competencies and, and what I'm doing but a fearlessness based on the gospel. Because this is what brings you to eternity with hope. This is what brings you joy in this life. So those who are opposing you, I'm praying they're not going to take you out. That you'll be able to stand without fear, without stress, without anxiety. I love these these questions that, that, that Paul asks and that the author of Hebrews asks asks. But what does it matter? Remember back in Philippians 1, he was dealing with Christians that are opposing him. Here it's, it's non-believers who are powerful and strong. In Philippians 1, he, Paul says, what does it matter that they're opposing me? He's not going to let it get to him. The author of, of Hebrews, what can man do to me? God, Jesus is never going to forsake me. What can man do to me? I have a sense of confidence and fearlessness because of the gospel. This is what Paul wants to see. This is in his one sentence where he's reflecting on this in this book, what he wants to see. Unity, fearlessness, and we see one more thing that I want to draw out. Let's come back to the passage. Verse 29. Um, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now heard that I still have. 
So verse 29, again, in Greek, this is one sentence. In, in New Testament Greek, you write sentences that are paragraphs long. We don't do that in English. So they've chunked this out into sentences. He uses this verb in verse 29, karizomai. For it has been karizomai to you. It has been granted. It has been graciously given to you. You can hear charis or charisa, a woman's name, or charismatic, charis, grace, matic gifts, grace gifts. You can hear this in this verb. For it has been graciously given to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe, we like that, but this next phrase, is, it falls in that category I spoke about some weeks ago. There's things in the Bible we don't like. This is, this is in that category again. For it has been graciously granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. We, we don't put those verbs, uh, suffering and God graciously granting, we, we, we don't put that together very often. But the Bible does constantly, here we are talking about it again. We did just a few weeks ago. So the gospel is uh, redemptive suffering. What does gospel living look like? Unity, fearlessness. And the third thing is redemptive suffering. Paul is telling the Philippians, you're going to suffer. It's going to have purpose and God is going to get glory. And I think he's wanting us to hear that same message. Our suffering is going to be different. But he wants us to hear this, that this is normal for the Christian life. It wasn't normal from where the Philippians were coming from. One commentator writes this. He says, uh, N. Walter, quoting this guy, has recently argued that the believers at Philippi were drawn mainly from a Gentile and pagan background. And for them, the idea of suffering for one's God was entirely new. This explains Paul's references to his own example and why he warns the Philippians of the impending necessity of suffering. So here we have it. What would Paul write in this letter? Well, he's written a much longer letter, but we've looked at one sentence of this letter today. And the one thing that he writes is not about Yosemite, marriage, children. It's about unity in the gospel. It's about fearlessness based on the gospel. It's about redemptive suffering, suffering where God gets glory, all based on the gospel, all based on what Christ has done. What I want to do in the, in the remainder of our time is show you uh, a short video that I think displays particularly these second two things I'm talking about, fearlessness and suffering where God gets glory. Uh, I want to show you this video. It's about seven minutes long. Let me tell you a little bit about it before we roll it. It's not from a setting or context that we're familiar with. This video was shot around Christmas time just a few months ago in Kurdistan. Uh, it is a, a little girl named Miriam who is an Iraqi Christian. And Miriam and all of her town have been displaced by ISIS. And they are in now in Kurdistan. And there is an Arabic Christian TV program called Why Is That? That would be a cool show for kids. This is a, a, an Arabic Christian TV show for children called Why Is That? And they're in a refugee camp in Kurdistan interviewing little Christian boys and girls. And they, and they selected this one uh, gal. Let's, let's take a look at this uh, and watch. 
واحنا موجودين هنا في المخيم لقينا بنوته فوجئت ان هي بتقول ان هي بتتفرج على ليش هيك واسمها مريم ازيك يا مريم زينه انت كيفك انا زي الفل انت بتتفرجي على ليش هيك فعلا ايوه حبي سات سيفن كيدز ايه انت فين بلدك جاي من قراكوش برضو ايوه من قراكوش انا طيب انت عندك عشر سنين مش كده ايوه طيب قولي لي انت بقالك قد ايه هنا في المخيم اربع اشهر ايه اكتر حاجه انت حاسه ان هي كنت بتحبيها في كراكوش مش موجوده هنا دلوقتي في المخيم كان عندنا بيت وكنا متونسين بس يعني هنا ما متونسين بس الحمد لله يعني الله سترنا قصدك ايه يعني ايه الله سترنا يعني الله حب حبنا و... وما قبل يعني يقتلونا داعش طيب انت حاسه قد ايه ربنا بيحبك صح ايوه ربنا بيحبنا كلنا مو مو بس انا كل الناس يحبوهم الله وانت شايفه ان ربنا كمان بيحب الناس اللي ممكن تبقى اذتك وزعلتك ولا لا؟ يحبوهم بس ما يحب الشيطان طب انت شايفه انت حاسه بايه ناحيه الناس اللي ممكن تبقى خرجتك من البيت وتعبتك؟ حسويهم ولا شيء بس يعني اقول لله يسامحهم وانت تقدري تسامحيهم كمان ايوه بس دي حاجه صعبه قوي ولا حاجه سهله ان انا اعرف اسامح الناس اللي تعبتني يا مريم ما راح اقتلهم يعني ليه اقتلهم بس بس زعلانه لي طلعوني من بيتنا طلعونا من بيتنا طيب انت كنت بتحبي المدرسه في كراكوش صح ايوه وكنت اولى دايما كان عندك صحاب كمان في المدرسة؟ أيوه موجودين هنا معاكي ولا مفيش ولا حد فيهم هنا؟ أكو بس ما بس ما أعرف وينهم طيب لو يمكن يكونوا هم دلوقتي بيتفرجوا على التلفزيون بيشوفوا سات سيفن كيدز تحبي تقولي لهم حاجة؟ كان عندي صديقة وإذا هوني كان عندي صديقة اسمها ساندرا وكنا أنا وهي كل اليوم مع بعضنا وكل المدرسة مع بعضنا مع بعضنا مع انه كنا بعيدين بيوتنا مع من من بعض بس كنا نحب بعضنا كثير يعني اذا هي غلطت علي وانا غلطت عليها نسامح بعضنا ومرات كنا نلعب ونغلط على بعض بعض بس نسامح بعضنا وكنا نحب بعضنا بس هسه اريد اشوفها شوف بس انت مش عارفه هي فين خالص صح؟ ما لا ما اعرف وينها طيب هي لو ساندرا بتفرج علينا دلوقتي اكيد هي كمان بعتلك سلامات و... واكيد هي كمان بتحبك يا مريم فيني كثير وانا حتى احبها ويا ريت اشوفها يوم اكيد ونفسي كمان احنا نبقى معاكي في اليوم ده علوة يعني ايه؟ يعني علوة ارجع اه نرجع على بيوتنا هي ترجع على بيتها ونشوف بعضنا وترجعوا كمان في بيت احلى من البيت الاولاني كيف الله نحن كيف الله هو اللي يعرف طيب انت مش بيجي لك وقت كده تبقي زعلانه بتحسي ان يسوع سابك مثلا؟ لا مرات يعني ابكي على البيت مالتنا ابكي على قرقوش بس ما ازعل انه الله يعني سابنا من قرقوش يعني رحنا من قرقوش اشكره لانه سترنا وجابنا لنا حتى اذا متبهدلين هنا بس الحمد لله الله سترنا انت علمتيني حاجات كتير قوي شكرا و... وانت حتى علمتني علمتك ايه انا و... علمتني يعني 
ما علمتني يعني حسيت بمشاعري حسيت بمشاعري أنا كان عندي مشاعر وأريد يعني يعرفون الناس إيش هي مشاعر هذول الأطفال اللي هنا وأنت عارفة أن يسوع مش هيسيبك أبدا صح؟ ما راح يسيبنا إذا مؤمنة وثابتة بينه ما راح يسيبني طيب قولي لي انت فاكره ترنيمه او فاكره حاجه لما بتبقي قاعده لوحدك كده بتحبي ترنميها او تتكلمي يسوع بيها ولا مش فاكره ولا حاجه خالص عندي ترا عندي ترانيم طب تحبي تقولي اكتر واحده انت بتحبيها تبقى صغيره وقصيره بس نسمعها منك ايه رايك اكو واحده understands the gospel. Miriam is suffering and bringing glory to God with a beautiful smile on her face. And Miriam, I would say, is, is fearless of unbelievers who are opposing her. This is Paul's desire for the Philippians. Um, this little girl has preached, I think, to many people through her testimony. Uh, let's stand together as we sing, uh, as we sing, whom shall I fear? We only fear the Lord in a, in a respectful and reverent way. There's nothing else that can touch us.